You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. <sighs> it's just so good to gather with you guys. I know that like we we always have we always have an agenda, but when it comes right down to it, um, all we want is for people to be impacted by God's love and to feel that same love pouring out towards him and to, to walk in new joy in Christ. And so um, we're, we're very accustomed and, fam- and familiar with kind of setting aside our agenda or, or editing it once we feel the Holy Spirit breathing on something new. And, um, and I just feel like, um, I feel like God wants to, author a, a really beautiful, redemptive, and, and hopeful story in our hearts this morning. And, and to start off, what I want us to do, it's a fun little experiment. I want us to imagine, all of you to imagine a time when you screwed up really big. You sinned like a professional sinner. And you, <laughs> like one of those times when you knew you just, you probably deserved severe judgment, but instead you received mercy. We all, we all have those moments. Um, so if you can just think of that time and just remember the feeling of experiencing mercy instead of what we would think is our version of judgment or what we would think we we deserved in that moment the feeling of mercy, the get out of jail, the hope, the, the renewed perspective. And maybe in this moment, um, you might actually be in one of those moments. Maybe Jesus is stooping down in the sand around you and writing in the sand again a message of mercy and redemption and restoration like he once did for a young woman who was caught just like we've all been caught. And maybe right now there's, there's an altar next to you that's made up of the stones that the accusers had to drop at the voice of Jesus. We thank you for your mercy, Jesus. Isn't it good to recall the goodness of the Lord? Isn't it good to remember that we uh, were sought after by him, that regardless of our actions, he saw our identity, he saw our worth when we thought we were worth less. He paid the highest price when we thought no one should pay anything for us at all. Has anyone in here ever seen Jesus? Maybe in a vision or a dream, had some sort of encounter where you're like, it just marked you and what, I mean, what was it like? Wasn't it similar, something like, I, I, he's better than I ever thought. Anything I ever heard about him pales into comparison to this moment when I just saw him or felt him. And, you know, they, they say that we're not supposed to meet our heroes because they always let us down, but I met Jesus and my feet still have not touched the ground. <laughs> <clears throat> it's that feeling like, uh, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's work, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, when 
Aslan comes back on the scene. Aslan is the, is the Christ character, and the winter begins to melt, right? The whole world is being impacted by the presence of this one, and, but there's rumors spreading. There's some people who have seen Aslan and some who haven't, and, and people are like, tell me, tell me about him. And the people who've seen Aslan, are, they're saying things like, he's everything we ever hoped for and more, you know? It's, that's our Jesus. He never disappoints. Uh, as, a, as a child, I, um, I had several encounters with the Lord. I grew up with parents that loved the Holy Spirit and raised me in the presence, and so it was normal for me to worship, and I have friends in here that I grew up with. Vincent was there when we were children laying hands on the sick and praying in tongues and seeing deliverance. It's just kind of how we were brought up in our home church we grew up in, and and I remember falling in love with scripture. I, I would secretly read scripture like crazy, even as a, as a kid. And, and I just dreamed about one day serving the church, serving the bride, serving the Lord, seeing hearts turn to him. And I was an odd child. You know, I, would, I got really uh, wrecked in a beautiful way, like filled with the Holy Ghost in a notable way around 11 years old and 12 and and. And I would rollerblade around my neighborhood listening to preachers on cassette tapes. (laughs) Just imagining like dropping these sermons and seeing like the masses repent, you know? Cassette tapes, right? Spelled C-A-S-S-E-T-T-E for y'all that don't know. Um, But I was a conundrum because the only way I could get these cassette tapes is to steal them from our church's library. (laughs) God for God was he was okay with it. Uh, <laughs> that's my story. It's not yours. Okay. Um, <laughs> and one of my one of my favorites I would listen to over and over is this message uh, on the the life of David, a man after God's own heart. And I just dreamed about being like David, and that my life would leave an impact, that's a legacy. Like if, if, if someone stood up at my funeral and everyone knew, like as he said it, it was true that Jeremy was a man after God's own heart, that would be enough. And I was moved you know, by these messages. And that one in particular was um, from this wild, young, fiery preacher by the name of Mike Bickle. And he was one of my favorites. He is one of my favorites. And I would listen to, I listened to Mike Bickle's 20-hour message, his series on the book of Revelation, 20 hours going through Revelation. And I would listen to Bob Jones and Mike Bickle talk about the prophetic and the prophetic history of IHOP. And I learned that the church is uh, not just some organization, but we're the bride and the bridal paradigm and the beauty realm of God. I was awakened to the the realities of God's beauty from Revelation chapter four and five in the throne room worship scene, which we so often reference as as we're worshiping here. I learned about harp and bowl Worship that right now there, there is a harp and a bowl. <laughs> a bowl that is being filled and a harp that is being played in heaven. It represents the, the prayers of the saints, this incense that's pouring out and, and just was deeply impacted by the International House of Prayer. And 
And I don't know if um, everyone in here is, knows about this. Um, maybe it'll, it'd be interesting to see. Has, has anyone not heard the recent news of what has gone down at IHOP with Mike Bickle? Anyone not heard? Okay. And, and who has heard? Yeah, the vast majority. Um, so it, this is a really heartbreaking thing for me to bring up um, for, for many reasons, some of those I just shared with you, but uh, the leaders at International House of Prayer communicated to everyone that the, there were allegations of sexual misconduct against Mike, which are credible and corroborated from credible voices that have nothing to gain but um, instead actually potentially a lot to lose from, from coming forward. And, and I know that if it's brand new news to you, it might be really shaking and, and unsettling, and I, which is why I wanted to um, address it as a family because I don't want any of us to find out alone or to hear a narrative from someone who maybe has a different take on the situation than what we would tend to um, have in here. <sighs> One time I heard um, Mike Bickle say that he, he fasted uh, for years and years. Every Monday, he just didn't eat any food. I heard it on one of my old cassette tapes. And I thought to myself, I can do better than that. I can outdo him. I can out-spiritual him. And so as a teenager, all through high school, I didn't eat Monday and Tuesday, no food. Uh, as a growing, maybe that's why I'm, I should be like an inch or two taller. <laughs> uh, and I, I would just, I would feast on the presence. I would read scripture while everyone else was at lunch. Even through like two a day practices on varsity soccer, Mondays and Tuesdays, I would eat no food and just be sustained by uh, Jesus. And, and uh, I was one of those kids, I, I found every way possible to be more passionate, more zealous, and more devoted than the next guy. Vincent and I even had a race to the uh, third heaven to see who could get there first <laughs> by vision. <laughs> and um, I found out uh, about this one thing that is a universal truth. It is true for every single believer. Uh, I found out the hard way that when we live off our fiery passion for the Lord, we will burn out. But if we live off of his fiery passion for us, we will burn forever. Yes. I burned out. I burned out hard. I had epic, painful, prodigal years after high school. And it's, it's funny, I probably could have been the guy voted most likely to pastor or end up a martyr. And w probably within a year, I was the guy who everyone knew you could buy the good drugs from. That's, that's how severe the uh, shift was in my life um, because the, all that spiritual pride in my life brought about a really big fall. And I had two years of wandering before God, in his mercy, let me feel his fiery passion again. There's a scripture that says a righteous man falls. It even says a righteous man falls seven times. 
And that's not like a, a constant. It's, it could be more or it could be less, but um, everyone falls. Righteous women fall. Righteous men fall. But what distinguishes us as the children of the Lord is that we stand back up. We rise again under the power of his grace. And so uh, right now, a, a righteous man has fallen. And the question for us is, how will we help him get back up? This is actually a test for every Christian who is watching this situation unfold. Uh, the Lord sees how our hearts react to uh, a righteous man when he falls. Um, can you guys turn to 2 Corinthians 2.6? Paul had to deal with this uh, in the churches that he would plant. There'd be plenty of moments where um, the spirit of stupid would come over someone and they would make a huge error. And this is one of those moments. This is 2 Corinthians, yeah, we'll start in 2.5. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment on, inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. There's another translation. This is the NLT. It says, most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. And then verse seven says, now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement or crushed by discouragement. So I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his schemes. So a little bit of backstory. Uh, the Corinthian church was the biggest church at the time. And this guy, is, it, he's, Paul is talking about a specific man who did something so epically dumb that it made it into eternal scripture. Okay, he defiled the church and everyone knew about it. Everyone was heartbroken or angry or a combination of potent emotions attached to what this man had done. And in no way was, is Paul or the church saying anything that this guy did was acceptable. But he was saying that if we don't restore him, if we don't reaffirm our love, if we don't bring him back in, he will be crushed. And then at the end, Paul starts referencing the plans of the enemy. And he says, we're not unaware of Satan's schemes. We have to do this so that Satan will not outsmart us. So guys, the, the Satan's greatest scheme isn't getting a righteous man to fall, it's getting the church to pile on judgment when he does. That's when things get really bad. So the test now is how do we carry him in our heart and how does the body restore him? And I know that word restore carries a lot of connotations. So let me just put it in, in this light. We don't, 
The goal isn't to restore him to uh, his, his place in leadership or a place in ministry. The goal is to restore him to wholeness. Wholeness is when the way of our being matches the truth of our being. The truth of Mike's being is that he is a beloved son of the Lord. And what we're believing for is that the way of his being would match that. Can you put up the, that slide that I sent you from Galatians 6.1? The reason I sent it in a slide is because I looked through tons of different um, translations and and I love the language of just putting, piecing it together like this. This is Galatians 6 1, um, and kind of a hodgepodge version of it. It says, Brothers and sisters, if a believer is caught, or some translations say overcome by any sin, any sin, you who are spiritual or you who live by the Spirit should, respo- should restore that person in a spirit of humility and gentleness, considering also your own resume. (laughs) Or considering also your own journey, or looking to yourself also, lest you also be tempted, or unless you want to be tempted in the same way. Something that I, I love to point out with this verse, this Galatians 6.1, is that catching someone in sin isn't spiritual. Like, it doesn't take the prophetic and discernment to tell what's wrong with someone. It takes one working eyeball and a critical spirit. The true, the true test of, of spirituality is restoring someone who's caught in any sin. So the question is, uh, are we the ones who live by the Spirit that restore, that are able to restore? And it also says that we do this in humility and gentleness. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up today is not just because of Mike, not just because of IHOP, but because this will continue to happen. There will be moments when we make an, ep- uh, an epic mess or you make an epic mess, or your best friend makes an epic mess, or your old pastor makes an epic, and what do we do? We, we have to respond like this in gentleness and humility. King David made epic messes. We, just, we love King David, and he is to be honored and cherished, but if he were alive today, he would be in prison. Right? Y'all just got nervous when I said that. You've read, you've read his resume, right? The, the Bible didn't pull any punches. At the end of David's life, he, he wrote his final psalm, and obviously he's most famous for being the, the, the psalmist the, and, and king. And the last psalm of the greatest psalmist, he is, it's like his epitaph. What is he gonna say at the end of his life? And he's, he mentions something about his own greatness. And in his final psalm, he, he attributes his greatness to one thing. He says, it is your gentleness that has made me great. He doesn't attribute it to war strategy, leadership TED Talks. <laughs> his greatness 
was determined because he experienced the gentleness of God. The other thing that the way that we're called to restore based on Galatians 6 is gentleness and humility. Um, God gives grace to the humble, doesn't he? But he opposes the proud. Um, and so what I want to talk about is, is ways to not respond to this situation, ways to not respond uh, when, when someone is caught in sin. There's a really cool story where um, Daniel, the famous prophet, he's, um, he's basically enslaved, but he's working for Nebuchadnezzar, who is, <laughs> he's got to be one of the most demonized, you know, necromancing, you know, devil worshipers who, who even like, uh, they, he destroyed the Israelite people and just murdered nearly everyone, but kept some of the, the, the best, you know, young Israelites for his to make them slaves for himself. So this is, a, this is a bad dude, right? And David, I mean, sorry, <laughs> Daniel has been captured by Nebuchadnezzar and is, and is now like a, a slave servant slash working his way up the, the ladder for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and the dream actually means judgment is coming. Bad things are gonna happen to Nebuchadnezzar. And... Um, let me put it into like today's perspective. It would be like if the leader of Hamas just got a dream, the judgment is coming. This man who is warring against the Israelites currently, it would be like that. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that judgment is coming and how does Daniel respond? He doesn't say it's about time. He doesn't say, I saw this coming from a mile away you deserve this. He says, O king, that this dream and its interpretation were for your enemies and not for you. Daniel actually had a love. He didn't, he didn't want horrible things to, to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. And so um, the way that we can incorporate that into the way that we would respond is to not say, um, yeah, I saw this coming. And, you know, you deserve it. It would be, oh, gosh, I wish this wasn't happening. Lord, help. Lord, help them. Another way to, uh, to respond in this situation is not to throw out the message because of the mess the messenger made. Don't throw out the message because of the mess the messenger made. Or don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, I don't know if you guys know how Solomon ended at the end of his life. Are you familiar with the story of Solomon? It's not pretty, right? He's tons of wives worshiping, you know, heathen, you know, foreign gods. It's it's a mess. Um, but y'all still read Proverbs, right? You you didn't open up your Bible and rip out the Song of Solomon and throw it away, did you? Right? Or David, who committed adultery, murdered a dude. We, we still read the Psalms, right? You haven't torn the Psalms out of your Bible, right? Now, in the same breath, I want to say this. Uh, this is also a way to respond. We're not going to enable this thing 
and we're not going to sweep it under the rug. Uh, it's, we have to call evil, evil. Um, and also, um, I want to make sure that we are, we're praying for those who have been hurt, the, the victims of these awful uh, decisions, these awful sins. Because uh, I know that moments like this can be especially painful and triggering for anyone who's experienced abuse themselves, experienced spiritual abuse or manipulation from elders, or maybe just being disillusioned or disenfranchised with the leadership structure of church in general. There's a really good parable where Jesus talks about what a humble worshiper looks like, and it's, it's out of Luke 19. Um, we don't actually have to turn there. Let me just read it real quick for the sake of time. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, the cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> I accidentally made that connection when I, when I was putting these notes together originally a few days ago. I, the Lord led me to that verse and I was like, wow. <laughs> I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. This parable is so clear, it barely needs any commentary. Um, it's the people who know we desperately need God's empowering grace to walk rightly that get God's empowering grace to walk rightly. This is the kind of grace that's talked about in Titus 2.12. See, grace isn't just this... Um, it's not like greasy grace where you just have license to do whatever you want. Grace is, um, it's, it's not freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin. And Titus puts it like this, grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's what real grace does. Trains us to live godly. You know, when, when, this, when news of this situation broke with Mike, I began to think about why it happened. And I started, and then I felt, I felt internally like afraid, like I was, I was walking down the wrong road um, because I, I wanted to point to this, that, or the other thing that made it so this happened. And it, for me, it, maybe not for other people, but for me, it felt wise, but began to feel very dangerous because I was getting an opinion of the situation without, a, I was suddenly 
elevating myself further and further above Mike and speaking down at the situation instead of coming under and praying from a place of love. So I wanna give you guys permission to not have some well-formed opinion as to why this happened, but just to enter into a place of prayer and to know that um, if someone like this can fall, I can fall too. It's a much better uh, attitude to have rather than trying to uh, put together a message on how not to ever be like that. So how do we... uh, How do we endure for years and years and years in love with Jesus? You guys have heard me uh, use this quote before. It's a, it's a French poet. Um, it's really beautiful in French, but I don't speak French, so I can just take other people's opinions for it. <laughs> uh, that this French poet says that if you want to build a boat, don't gather wood and workers and begin barking out orders. If you want to build a boat, don't do that. Don't gather the wood and the workers and bark out orders. Instead, teach people to long for the vastness of the sea. Mike Bickle put it like this. Lovers outwork workers every time. When we're fascinated by the vastness of God's love, I won't have to tell you to live rightly. I won't have to tell you to evangelize. I won't have to try to inspire you with fine-sounding arguments on on how to go out and reach the world. If you have touched the beauty of Jesus, if you have been fascinated by his love, you're going to go and do it, whether or not. It will be more like us restraining stallions rather than whipping donkeys. We need to live fascinated by Jesus, is what I'm saying. If you're not fascinated by Jesus, let me just say it to myself. Jeremy, if, I, if you're not fascinated by Jesus, then you've been infected with a false gospel again. You've swallowed down mediocre news, but certainly not good news. To be fascinated by Jesus is to look at this man once again, to hear his words, to see his nature, to realize and recognize what he has done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. This man who is fully man and fully God, the exact representation of God, the very radiance of his glory, this this Jesus who is the fullness of deity in bodily form, this Jesus in whom, through whom, by whom all things are made, this Jesus who is upholding the universe by the power of his word and this Jesus who thinks you are amazing. This is the Jesus that the elders and angels bow down to. The four living creatures extol with the holy, holy, holies and the worthy, worthy, worthy and the the lamb, the lamb, look at the lamb. This Jesus You know, there is a door standing open in heaven, right? And you can walk in it or out it. And the Lord told me one time, the angels aren't forced to be there. The elders aren't required. The four living creatures, they can leave whenever they want. You know, it's not in their job description to sing worship to the Lord, right? They found the one place that they want to be forever, 
that is unlike any other. It is beholding this lamb. They are forever, for all of eternity, singing over and over again. They can't get enough of the glory of this man, Jesus Christ. Like Mary, they chose the best part to be at his feet. If we are bored, we just need to revisit the gospel or hang out with Ryan Crowell or someone else who is... uh, (laughs) living with an astonished heart. I once heard the the definition of the church is the gathering of the astonished heart. How else do we endure what we live by the Spirit? There's a lot of messages telling us how not to gratify the cravings of the sinful flesh, but rarely do they start with live by the Spirit. See, it says live by the Spirit and you won't gratify the cravings of sinful flesh. It doesn't say don't gratify the cravings of sinful flesh and then you'll live by the Spirit. We can't behave our way into his heart. It's when we realize that we are rightly positioned and loved in his heart that we begin to no longer gratify the cravings of the sinful flesh when we're living by the Spirit. How else do we endure while we live in the light. Um, This is uh, Psalm 32. If you're anything like me, you know exactly uh, what Psalm 32 is talking about. You have sinned in a big way. You know you need to confess it and you don't want to, right? And you're in that period. This is Psalm 32. Can you put it up there? Verses one through eight. It says, yes. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. You know exactly what that feels like. Don't pretend. <laughs> Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Interlude. (laughs) You gotta have fun, right? Okay. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Interlude. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. Yeah, let's keep on going. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. It's at the end, yeah. Um, there's so many promises in here. It's not just that like, it's our conscience is crippling us, our conscience is crushing us when we're hiding, when, we're, when, when shame is teaching us to keep a bottle on the things that we've done wrong. It's, it's a promise that when we do bring it to the Lord, we experience great relief, the feeling of forgiveness, the feeling of the clean slate, the feeling of walking out of prison free, and, and the promise that he will guide us 
when we walk like that. He will guide us down paths of life. This is um, summed up in 1 John 1, 7. John says it like this, that, uh, can you actually put up 1 John 1, 7? But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's not just that you know, when, we forget, when we confess our sins, we're forgiven. Yes, that's actually very true. God is a very, very merciful person. In fact, it's more like he's, as soon as we're saying like father, he's already saying forgiven, right? It's almost like we need to be reacquainted with his mercy. And that is the thing that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, the weapon that God has chosen for humanity is mercy. That's going to be the thing that cleanses us. So um, my question for you guys as we're ending is, who do you have in your life that knows all of your stuff? Who do you have in your life where you can go to, you don't have to self-edit, you can, when something goes wrong, when you've made the, the really bad decision, when you've made the really big mess, you can go to them, that you could be cleansed from all unrighteousness, that you can be Restored. Who do you have in your life? We need to be a people who live in the light. Beloved, listen to me. Be quick to confess. Find your people that you can run with in that place of humility. Find the people that you can run with who are the gentle and humble restorers of your heart. Can we pray together? Jesus, we thank you for your goodness your kindness that leads us to repentance. And like David prayed, we thank you for your gentleness that makes us great. Right now we lift up the uh, entire International House of Prayer community. God, we pray that you would step in and work miracles. You'd step in and you would save. You would step in and you would heal. We pray for the victims. We pray for the people who are covered in shame right now, that they would be healed, Lord, that healing waters would flow. A time of refreshing would come for that whole organization. God, we pray for Mike and his family. God, that you would work the miracles that you know how to work. Father, that you would restore. Jesus, we pray for the whole church that you would teach us how to walk out Galatians 6.1, that you would teach us how to walk out 2 Corinthians 2, that we would be the ones who know how to restore from a place, a spirit of gentleness and humility. And God, we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you would keep us from all pride, the pride that causes the spirit to resist. Father, that you'd help us to walk humbly and love mercy. God, I pray that you protect us from the defilement of this. God, right now we lift up everyone who, uh, in, in this room, in this body, the ones who have been hurt by sexual abuse, the ones who have been hurt by leader abuse, the ones who have been hurt by spiritual manipulation, and the people in this very room whose hearts are most tender and even maybe triggered. Yeah. Right now, we pray that they would feel your arms of affection wrap around their hearts. You'd bring healing and restoration. In Jesus' name, amen.